Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. Exxon Mobil gives contractor advance to build Fort Guyana floating production storage and offloading vessel without approval. Illinois businesses told at virtual trade talks Trinidad ideal for investment. U.S. FEMA approves over $142 million for schools affected by earthquakes in Puerto Rico. Cayman Border Control officials confident ahead of November 20th reopening. Jamaica to surpass pre-pandemic tourism numbers by end of 2024 and cricket's future stars to compete in Caribbean for U19 Men's World Cup honors. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Thursday, November 18th. We start a report today in Guyana. Crider News reports that with negotiations now completed, SO Exploration and Production Guyana Limited has awarded Netherlands-based SBM Offshore's contract to perform a front-end engineering and design for a floating production and storage offloading vessel for the Yellowtail project development in the Strabo Block offshore Guyana. ExxonMobil Guyana, in fact, pursuant to awarding of the contract, has since agreed to pay over an undisclosed advance to SBM Offshore to begin works. SBM Offshore is the company that built and is currently leasing to Guyana. The first two floating production storage and offloading vessels, Liza Destiny and Liza Unity, and is in the process of constructing the third floating production storage and offloading vessel for the Pariah oil field in the Straber Block Prosperity. The contract handed to SBM Offshore is the second such large one out by ExxonMobil Guyana in recent days, despite the fact it has yet to receive any government approvals and permits, environmental or otherwise. The Crider News reported on Wednesday that despite the fact that Guyana's government is yet to sign off on any of the required approvals for the development of the Yellowtail oil field development in the Strabo Block, ExxonMobil Guyana has inked a large contract to the subsea installation for that project. According to Technic FMC, a large contract is between 500 million to 1 billion U.S. dollars. SBM Offshore is making its announcement yesterday, said following the feed and subject to government approvals in Guyana of the development plan, project sanctions including final investment decisions by ExxonMobil and the EEPGL's release of the second phase work, SBM Offshore will construct, install, and then lease the floating production storage and off floating vessel and operated for a period of two years. First oil is expected in 2025. Trinidad and Tobago Newsday reports that Meyerson LLC, a globally recognized dental company based in Chicago, Illinois, has invested in Trinidad and Tobago through its factory on Trinity Avenue, Levantine, for the past 70 years. The 100-year-old company, established in 1917, found its way to Trinidad and Tobago's shore in the early 50s when the Meyerson family came to Trinidad and Tobago on a trade mission. Decades later, Sword Out represents Trinidad and Tobago in a similar fashion at a virtual webinar hosted by the American Chamber of Commerce, ANCHAM, entitled Doing Business with Illinois. 
The webinar is a precursor to a virtual trade mission, the first of its kind expected to be held in January 2022. The webinar will not be the only one to be conducted in the months to come. Ancham CEO Nura Tewari said similar webinars were to be held in Canada and is expected to be held in other states and cities where Trinidad and Tobago products could reach wider markets and businesses in the United States could benefit from several incentives. From his office in Chicago, Schwartout said that if there were no other benefits to conducting business in Trinidad and Tobago, one benefit would be the weather. But nice weather wasn't the only benefit that Schwartout pointed out in his presentation. He highlighted the work ethic of Trinidad and Tobago citizens as well, saying that employees of Meyerson LLC were hardworking, enthusiastic, patriotic, and eager to learn despite the fact that Trinidad and Tobago has 22 holidays. Swartzout added that an adjacent time zone between Trinidad and Tobago and Illinois being only one hour apart in the first six months of the year and two hours ahead in the second six was also a great benefit for communication when he is not in the country. He also said freight was simple and fast. We use FedEx to ship from Port of Spain. It gets picked up, routed to Puerto Rico through Memphis and then to Chicago. We would ship our goods on Friday, and more often than not, they would show up on Monday after clearing customs and FDA clearance in Memphis. Research officer at Export Trinidad, Pramila Ramdahani said that as far as location is concerned, Trinidad and Tobago is also a good spot. We are considered a Caribbean hub with markets in South America as well as North America, she said. She also mentioned the special economic zones, which is before Parliament and is expected to be laid in the Senate at the end of November. She said it will join with many other incentives in the Fiscal Incentives Act, the Income Tax Act, and the Corporation Tax Act, which provides tax breaks and incentives for businesses thinking of investing in Trinidad and Tobago. A business relationship with Illinois would also be beneficial to Trinidad and Tobago businesses looking to expand beyond its shores. Illinois, with a population of over 12 million, has been described as the fifth largest economy in the U.S. by GDP and one of the most diversified economies in the world. Chicago, its largest city, has a population of over 2 million and is home to many of the U.S. largest companies including Abbott Laboratories, Allstate, Baxter International, Kraft Heinz, Motorola, United Airlines, and Walgreens. In 2019, its gross state product stood at $782 billion. For a foreign corporation to conduct business in Illinois, it must qualify by getting authorization through the U.S. Secretary of State's Department of Business Services. ReliefWeb reports that the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency allocated over $24.4 million during October and November to repair and reinforce various schools in the south and west regions of Puerto Rico that experienced structural damage caused by the 2020 earthquakes. To date, over $142 million has been obligated to the Puerto Rico Department of Education for 115 permanent work 
work projects that address damage related to the tremors. Due to the amount of structural damage caused by the earthquakes, most of the allocated funds will be used for mitigation work such as installing support and steel structures, reinforcements to protect the buildings in case of a future seismic event. Investing in construction work related to education has a ripple effect in Puerto Rico's recovery, although it's true that the construction industry plays a vital role in any country's economy. When the work's related to education, the impact is even greater because the education of children and youth is one of our most important assets. It is the future of Puerto Rico, said FEMA Federal Disaster Recovery Coordinator for Puerto Rico, Jose Baquero. Manuel Laboya Rivera, Executive Director of the Central Office of Recovery, Reconstruction and Resilience, said this multi-million dollar obligation will have a significant impact not only on the earthquake recovery process, but also on the lives of thousands of students who are eager to resume their school life by returning to their classrooms. Our team will continue to assist in these efforts to provide school communities with resilience and safe spaces that allow for the socioeconomic development of Puerto Rico, he added. The Cayman Compass reports that as Cayman Islands prepare to drop quarantine for securely verified vaccinated travelers on Saturday, effectively reopening the border to international visitors, Cayman Custom and Border officials say that they're ready to welcome travelers back to the islands. Speaking on the Wednesday episode of the Compass Weekly Talk Show, The Rush Hour, Border Control Chief Officer Wesley Howell stressed that the recent community outbreak, bringing with it the reintroduction of mass mandates and social distancing, has been a positive development for those charged with protecting Cayman borders on the front line. One of the fortunate sides of our unfortunate position of having community spread is that our entire population has changed their practice in relation to mask wearing, hand sanitizing, so we're more defensive against COVID as we go about our lives, Howell said. We are confident that we're able to facilitate the opening of the borders quite comfortably, said Cayman Custom and Border Control Deputy Director Kevin Walton. Howell revealed that six flights are scheduled to arrive into Owen Roberts on Saturday. These passengers will be the first to go through the new process, which will see securely verified vaccinated travelers exit the airport without quarantine. They will be expected to do lateral flow tests on days 2, 5, and 10 of their trip. These tests will be supervised, Howell said, and performed by medical professionals. The results will be reported to the government. The supervised and certified lateral flow test can be used by U.S. travelers returning home as proof of COVID status accepted by U.S. immigration officials. However, Canadian visitors will have to get a PCR test to return home, Howell explained. There will be 30 locations or service providers where travelers can access the test. Howell said that this was manageable with the 700 passengers projected to 
to arrive on Saturday. As for the issue of payment for testing, Howell said the nuances were still being finalized. He stated the government would carry the cost for the first arriving visitors, but later the providers would transition into collecting for that, perhaps through a system where people would be required to pay up front prior to departing their home countries. Jamaica Information Service reports that as Jamaica's tourism continues its strong rebound, Jamaica's Minister of Tourism, the Honorable Edmund Bartlett, says that the sector is projected to surpass pre-pandemic figures by the end of 2024. He said that total visitor arrivals are estimated to reach 4.5 million with gross foreign exchange earnings of 4.7 billion US dollars. The minister was making his statement at the Jamaican House of Representatives on November 16th, where he outlined the recovery of the sector. He noted that the total visitor arrivals are estimated at 3.2 million by the end of 2022, with cruise passengers accounting for 1.1 million and stopover arrivals 2.1 million, while earnings are projected at 3.3 billion U.S. dollars. Jamaica is well on its way to recovery. The 2021 stopover arrivals are estimated to be up 41 percent year over year and year to date. We have recouped nearly half of 2019 stopover business, Bartlett told the House. He noted that December is usually a strong month for the industry and it begins the high season when the rates are higher. So we will likely meet our forecast of 1.6 million visitors and over 2 billion in earnings. The International Cricket Council reports that the West Indies will host the ICC Under-19 Men's Cricket World Cup in 2022. It has been confirmed. The tournament, which will feature 16 countries in 48 matches, is to be held in the Caribbean for the first time in its 14th edition history and will run from January 14 to February 5th. The Under-19 Men's Cricket World Cup has developed a reputation as an event that not only offers excellent competition and entertainment, but also showcases future stars of the game. The ICC U-19 Men's Cricket World Cup is such an exciting and special tournament, bringing together the future stars of the game and giving them an unrival experience of competing on the global stage, said International Cricket Council Head of Events Chris Tetley. We are looking forward to the 2022 edition to see who emerges as future stars. We are delighted that the West Indies will be hosting this event and we wish all the teams the very best in their preparations for the tournament and to go Cricket West Indies in the event. The tournament will utilize 10 venues in four Caribbean countries, Antigua and Barbuda, Guyana, St. Kitts and Nevis, and Trinidad and Tobago. Semi-finals and final will be held at the Sir Vivian Richards Cricket Grounds in Antigua and Barbuda. In partnership with host territorial boards, cricket clubs, and ministries of sports, we have been hard at work preparing for this event over the past several months. Cricket West Indies President Ricky Skerritt 
Lord said in a statement. West Indies has a proud under-19 cricket history, with several bright talents blossoming into international stars over the years. We therefore expect our current team of under-19 players to do us proud in the 2022 tournament. I'm also confident that our visitors will be experiencing the best of our world-famous Caribbean culture and hospitality in Antigua and Barbuda, Guyana, St. Kitts and Nevis, and Trinidad and Tobago. Aldea News reports that Berto Colon is a Puerto Rican who is in his 40s, decided to dedicate his life to the art he loves most, acting. Colon's passion for acting and theater began when he was very young and moved from Puerto Rico to the Bronx, where his mother worked as a nurse. While in high school, he played soccer and earned an athletic scholarship to Fordham University, where he studied general science. Playing soccer, Cologne fractured his knee, and since he couldn't play well, he began to make the most of his time acting in small plays and movies. That's when my dream began to evolve, and I threw myself into the deep end, says the artist, referring to the fact that he focused all his energies on acting. And it was a great decision because that dream has grown into his way of life. One of the most important participations that Berto has had within his career was having a role within the Netflix series Orange is the New Black, where he played one of the guards of the series for several consecutive chapters. Acting is being able to completely disconnect from your life and being able to be the character, said the actor. Starting November 21st, we will be able to see Berto bring Lorenzo to life in the star series Ghost Book 2, where he will star alongside Mary J. Blige. And finally... The Virgin Islands Free Press reports that the University of the Virgin Islands student ambassador, Miss University of the Virgin Islands Jakima Fleming, was crowned Miss National Black College Alumni Hall of Fame 2021-2022 in Georgia last weekend. Fleming competed among 19 other contestants from other historically black colleges and universities and is the third University of the Virgin Islands queen to bring the coveted title home to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Contestants vying for the Miss National Black College Alumni Hall of Fame title were judged in the following segments, personal interview, oratory, poise, and projection, which included the evening gown segment, talent and question and answer. I'm proud that my HBCU prepared me to excel, and I can now use what was instilled in me as the national ambassador for all HBCUs, added Fleming. The focus of the competition is to provide great opportunities for young women attending the national historically black colleges and universities and to help them better prepare for their future, as well as gain self-awareness, self-confidence, individual pride, pride for their institution, and a greater social awareness overall. The National Black College Alumni Hall of Fame Foundation, Inc. hosts a competition of black college queens as a part of its annual Miss National Black College Alumni Hall of Fame weekend. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Thursday, November 18th. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook.